we are wanting to tackle over the next several weeks as we lead up to our Dream Team Conference, we're wanting to tackle the values that we believe God is wanting us to uh, emphasize, to nurture, to strengthen. Um, I don't know if you realize this, but values form culture. And culture does a lot more for vision than what vision does for culture. In fact, it's been said that culture eats vision for breakfast. So we can have a great vision, we can put it up on the wall, we can be excited about it. By the way, that's true for personal life, that's true for your business, that's true for your organization, for the church. We can have a compelling vision, but if we're not working on our culture, culture will eat vision for breakfast. And just so you know, to be very clear, these are not just our personal values. Uh, we're wanting to dig down into what we believe are biblical values. We're not trying to get you to gather around a human vision, we're trying to gather around God's vision as we look ahead and as we try and apply what we think God is wanting um, in the communities around us in the season ahead. I honestly do believe that godly values will achieve God's vision. Godly values will achieve God's vision. And that's, again, not just true of the church, that's true in your own personal life. Let's never override the principles of God in order to achieve the purposes of God. You might think that God wants to bless you in a particular area, but if you're gonna cut corners and ignore God's way in order to achieve that, I'm just telling you long-term you're gonna suffer because God actually cares more about who we are becoming before what we're doing. And if we are becoming who God wants us to become, then we, I don't think you can help it. I think you'll do what God wants you to do. I was messaging with a friend again the other day. He's, he's living overseas. Um, and uh, just trying to provide for his family, et cetera, et cetera. They're, they're with him, so they're not apart. And he was just talking through some options, uh, you know, that might come up over the next few years and just wanting some discernment, um, you know, and perspective in terms of where in the world they should maybe go to next. And I could honestly say to him, and, and, I, and because I also know him and I know his heart and I know that his first priority is pleasing God. It was easy to say, like, relax. I think you're doing what you can do right now. You keep pursuing God's will for today. God will reveal his will for the future. Francis Chan talks about how we can make an idol, he's talking about Christians, an idol out of God's will for our lives while ignoring God's will for today. Which again goes back to values actually before vision. Now yes, vision can influence, but hopefully you're getting the point. Values matter. And if you haven't been with us for too long and you do stick around, which I'll be grateful for, you will hear us making reference to this again and again, that the order really does matter. We want to order our lives around being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and then we will do what Jesus would do if he were me. Religion is the opposite order. Religion is where I better do what's right, and then maybe it'll change me, and then, and then I don't know, maybe I'll kind of get to God. Um, and it's never quite perfectly linear, but if our priority is I wanna grow in a personal relationship with Jesus, I'm going to become, I'm gonna grow in character, I'm going to allow his culture to develop in me. The fruits of the spirit will become evident. If I will be with Jesus, become like Jesus, I will do what Jesus did. So today, I wanna tackle um, what I think is one of the most important values, not the most important, we'll do that in a couple of weeks, but one of the most important, and that is the value of unity. Unity is possibly the most superficially addressed topic in the church and perhaps the most undermined in terms of just how significant it is if the enemy can attack unity. 
if, if relationships can get broken, if we can assume the worst of one another, if we can allow our differences to cause division, most of his work is done. Think about even the word community. Unity is in the word, community. It's, it's, it's those with which we have something in common. It's those with whom we are committed to being united. It has often stood out to me that unity was literally one of the last things that Jesus prayed for. Think about this. I don't know about you, but if I know, and Jesus did know, okay, so John, John chapter 17, we, we read about what Jesus is praying just before he crosses the Kidron Valley, goes into the garden uh, uh, of the olive grove. Yeah, I wanted to say the garden, but anyway, you know, the olive grove, the garden of Gethsemane. So just before he's about to be betrayed and arrested there. Just before that, in John chapter 17, we read about some of the things that he's praying about, and one of the last things that Jesus prays about before he's about to be betrayed, falsely accused, arrested, tortured, murdered, one of the last things he prays about is for unity, and he makes it very clear, if you read the verses before the one I'm about to read to, not just for those that are my followers now, but for those who will be following me in 2022. Okay, he didn't say in 2022, but he was saying all the future followers. In the second half of John chapter 17, verse 23, Jesus says, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Think about that for a moment. That's a pretty big deal. It's gonna stand out to the world. It's gonna show the world. By the way, what what a standard, that you love them as much as you love me? Like that's quite a revelation to think that God loves you, that, that our heavenly father loves us as much as he loves Jesus. May they experience, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me. In other words, Jesus is saying there that the world's not just gonna know that you sent me because of some of the things that we believe or some of the things that we are against or some of the things that we fight for. They're gonna know that you sent me if they are united. Shortly before that in John chapter 13 where Jesus watched they will know that you're my disciples if you love one another as I have loved you. It's a big deal. And I just wanna tell you, especially if you haven't been around church all that long, it is easy for people to prioritize doctrine over people, to prioritize majoring on the minors instead of actually majoring on the most important thing, which is us growing in relationship, iron sharpening iron. And yes, it is messy and sometimes bloody and sometimes painful. And again, if you haven't experienced that, you haven't stuck around long enough, you haven't been involved enough, but if you do, I mean, it's a great advertisement, right? Stick around the church long enough, you're gonna get hurt, you're gonna get frustrated, there are gonna be opportunities for misunderstanding. I know, it's a great, great, great advertisement. But if you come through that, who's been married for longer than like a year? Okay, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? Okay, some old people. Okay, no, I'm joking. Okay, I would tend to say that if you've been married longer than a year, in fact, I'd say if you've been married long, for longer than six months, 
you know that it's to the extent that you're able to work through differences, work through disagreements while still loving each other, caring about each other more than being right, all, all that kind of stuff. It is only to that extent that, that you're gonna grow in a, in a healthy, trusting relationship. I, I can honestly tell you, I, I'm fairly confident before God that I love Sue more than I've ever loved her. We'll be married for 23 years in November. And I don't mean that in this, in this like, oh, oh, sweet, you know, sentiment. Listen, if you know Sue and I, we, like we don't paint this picture of the oohs and the ahs on a superficial level. But I can honestly tell you that I love Sue and appreciate Sue and trust Sue more than I ever have before. But let me say something. In those first couple of years, because I'm a lot more godly than Sue, this didn't cross my mind, but I know that she wanted to walk away many times and had, and, and I think wondered whether or not she made a mistake many times. And there were many seasons where it was just hard. Like you're just misunderstanding each other. And, and again, why can't she see that I'm right? Why can't she just, you know, concede and surrender? I mean, she, her name is literally surrender. Why, why can't she surrender? Like, greatest irony ever. I'm making light of this, but, but I honestly think that some of us need to grow up a little bit and move past some of the immaturity that, the, that media tells us is a love story and see that if we're gonna, guys, why would Jesus need to pray about unity if he didn't know it was gonna be hard? If he didn't know it was gonna be tough? Think about the Lord's Prayer. This is Jesus telling us how to pray. He says, hey, our Father in heaven, give us today our daily bread. There's a mutual burden, there's a concern. Forgive us our sins. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. It's communal. It matters. We read another powerful passage in Ephesians chapter four, verse three. This is Paul the apostle writing. He says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Those of you that know the story of uh, the Tower of Babel, quite a, quite a crazy story found very early on in the Bible in the book of Genesis where, where, where these people who thought that they were really bright um, you know, came together and started to build this incredible tower that they thought could eventually reach into the heavens and, re and reach to God. And, and I mean, this, this, the scripture record doesn't disagree. I mean, look, obviously they're not gonna get to heaven, but, but like it doesn't dispute that they're gonna achieve something significant. In fact, it actually says that if, if they remain united, they'll be able to achieve whatever they put their mind to, basically. And so what God does is he actually confuses them all by giving them different languages. So all of a sudden, I go from speaking in English to Ivan to speaking in Swahili. And I'm like, no, no, I mean, oh, blah, blah, blah. not that that's what I said. Like, and I keep trying to speak in what I thought, you know. And, and all of a sudden, they all separate and go in different directions because they're not speaking a common language. And I think that one of God's desires is for us to be able to speak a common language, to be able to pursue a common vision. Again, not a man's vision, but a biblical vision. Sure, we'll, we'll get involved, man will get involved uh, in, in terminology and, and, and in particular projects and goals that we, that we think is specific and unique to what God wants us to do in the church, but, but it has to all come under. God's vision. And if we can speak common language, if we can understand, man, 
It's crazy what we can achieve. All right, here's the, here's the, the primary text for today. It's a bit lengthy, stick with me. We're going back to the beginning of that passage I just read to you. In Ephesians chapter four, verse one, it says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you. I want you to notice the, the urgency with which, with which Paul writes this. I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Just so you know, just so you know, none of us, I think, have gotten this or will get this right perfectly. This is the goal. This is, this is what we have to work towards. This is, yeah. My family will tell you I'm not always as gentle and patient as I'd like to be. So it's, it's a journey. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Then, the verse I just read, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Verse 11, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And then look at this, verse 12, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, which is the body of Christ. That's what we're either building up or breaking down, just so you know. Way too often we think that we're tackling a person when, when actually there's a real enemy behind that person or there's the real God behind it. So, so it's the body of Christ. Verse 13, this will continue until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son. Please don't miss this, that we will be, we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. In other words, Paul here is saying that unity will actually lead to maturity. Unity results in maturity. He goes on, verse 15. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Again, he's the head. Jesus is the head. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. Some of us would challenge that or disagree with that sometimes. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. How do I know if, if you and I are doing our own special part? Well, the fruit of that will be that the other parts are growing. So we, have to, so we have to actually be quite honest with ourselves and saying, if the other parts aren't growing, is it possible that we're not playing our part in the, in the correct way, in the healthy way? So that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Guys, Christianity has gotta be the least self-centered way of life on the planet. It is not just, if I'm serving God properly, I'm gonna be amazing. I'm gonna feel warm and fuzzy. Everything's gonna be fantastic with my life. No, no, he's saying that, that if we're all actually growing and maturing, the whole body will be healthy and growing and full of love. Here's the big idea, okay? For those of you with ADD that are about to you know, fall asleep or, or, or not off, if you haven't already, here's the big idea. If you, if you forget everything else I say today, unity is not only the absence of division, but the presence of maturity. It is not only the absence of division. I think sometimes we set the bar too low. It's not only the absence of blatant division. No, it's actually the presence of maturity. That has to be the goal. Are we maturing? That's why, that's why as a parent, I can't just be concerned that my kids are happy or that, or that everything's comfortable immediately. I've got to actually be thinking, are we all maturing? By the way, even in your, if, if our marriages are healthy, if they're healthy, I'm so worried someone's gonna misunderstand what I'm about to say, but if they're healthy, we will help one another to mature. 
the misunderstanding I'm afraid of is that, is that you might think, yeah, 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 I better tell him how to mature, or I better tell, no, 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 that's an unhealthy marriage, okay? It's not about control and domination, no, no. I'm just saying, if it is healthy, we will be helping one another to grow. So, a couple of quick points before I wrap up. Understanding unity, understanding unity. The first is this, God's will versus our will. Way too often, way too often, we maybe without even realizing it are trying to get people on board with, with my opinion, my interpretation, my conviction. And maybe, and maybe you have thrashed this out and you feel like, like there's a good reason for that to be a biblical conviction. And in many cases, you might be right. But I wanna be abundantly clear. We're trying to get onto God's agenda. We're trying to get onto God's page. We're trying to figure out what, what God wants. His will has to be our priority. Not your opinion, not my opinion, not the strongest voice's opinion, but God's opinion. What is God's opinion? Unity is not, about, is not about getting us all to just agree on something. If we're not agreeing around God's will, well, I mean, we are united, but we're not united in a biblical sense, right? Like, there, there are lots of groups in this world that are united. Racists are united, right? I think Putin would have a few people around him that are united, in his cause, it can't just be, do I have enough people that, that agree with me? No, no, we have to be working out whether or not we are agreeing with God. Verse three, again, of Ephesians chapter four, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. Not in your feelings, not in your opinion, no, no, in the spirit. We have to be united around Jesus as the head of the body. Verse 15, again, makes reference to the fact that, that we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Now, I, I contacted a few people in our church while I was preparing this, one being a, a medical specialist, the other a physiotherapist, trying to just get some input. They obviously think I'm a lot brighter than what I am, because some of them sent back a whole bunch more stuff than what I could cope with. Um, but, but in terms of you know, conditions that we can have on a physical level, where, where the messages are not being received or, or not being accepted sufficiently from the head to the body. So, so in some cases, there will be effects. I mean, we would know some conditions like um, having a stroke or epilepsy or Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, etc. But, you know, so, so, where, so where in your mind, you, you know what you want to do, but, but, but there's a part of your body that's just not it's, not, it's not in agreement, it's not receiving it, and it's not doing what you're, what you're telling it to do. I thought this was really, really interesting. Th this was from, from the specialist who sent a bunch of really interesting stuff. The part that I could understand is what I'm about to read to you. But I'm reading this word for word. Th this, is, this is what she sent to me in the text. Referring to nerve injury, she says, any cut to a nerve will cause that leg or finger or toe not to be able to connect to the brain anymore. In other words, it can't move, it, it can't feel. And then, she went on to say this, often if other fingers are still working next to the sick one, they can even make the sick one worse by pulling it skew or getting in the way. Then she says in brackets, so just so you know, this isn't me preaching, this is her preaching. This could be an analogy to the non-connected people taking offense at actions of Christians around them and being negatively influenced because they misinterpret the Christian's good intentions. Guys, we, we, have, to be, we have to be working towards gathering around, uniting around, trying to help each other discern God's will. Now, 
Again, if you've been around in terms of your relationship with God for a long enough time, you know that sometimes that's not as easy as you'd like it to be, right? One of the, one of the single greatest uh, crises in my faith, there have been a few of them, but, but it's been when I thought I heard God. Like, I mean, I really thought I heard God. And then it clearly didn't work out that way. I've got to tell you, that messes with your head. Where you're like, so then what else have I been wrong about where I thought it was you? And, and that's why I think we need one another. I, I can't think of a single decision that we would make in this church that is significant, that would not involve counsel, that would not involve a team, people with skin in the game, people that, people that, that, that are invested. We want to discern together. Again, in your marriage, if you're the only one making decisions, I'm just, uh, I mean, you may have to because it's dysfunctional, but then let's accept it as dysfunctional. But otherwise, why on earth would you not be trying to discern together? All right, number two, true peace versus false peace. This is the difference also, by the way, in my opinion, between tolerance, what the world calls tolerance, and what the Bible calls grace. Tolerance is kind of like, ugh, anything goes, you be you, you speak your truth, which, is, which has still got to be one of the most ironic statements to me. But tolerance is like just whatever, for whoever. But grace is like, no, no, that's wrong, but, but there's grace, there's mercy, there's, there's still value, there's still dignity. And one of the challenges, and I don't know, I don't know if this is true in the capital C church at large, but I do think that there's a temptation to where, to where without us even realizing it, we can settle for a, a level of false peace. Because, because, again, I don't know who it is that's made us think this, but, but there's this view that conflict is bad and that disagreeing is bad and that, and that for, me to, and for me to be upset with you is bad. Why? Jesus rebuked his disciples Paul challenged Peter when he was being hypocritical. This, by the way, this is after Peter has already preached on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people have gotten saved. Like, Peter is doing well. He was taking over the internet, okay? He was, he was smashing it as far as metrics go. And Paul's like, hey, why are you being a hypocrite? You, you engage with non-Jews when, when these other people aren't around, and then the moment some of these Jewish leaders come around, you, you suddenly don't eat with them? Like, what's up with this? He, like, it's recorded in the book of Acts. For all time. Peter gave us a lot of stuff to remember. <laughs> Guys, we need one another to, to be able to work out stuff together. True peace, true peace actually requires the disruption of false peace. Peter Scazzaro says that the way of true peace, according to Jesus, will never come by pretending that what is wrong is right. That's what false peace is. When I pretend that what is wrong is right. He goes on to say that false peacemakers appease, they avoid and are afraid. Now, a lot of this has to do with our personalities and our wirings. If you're familiar with the Enneagram at all, you have, you have a whole group called, the, called peacemakers. It's ironic because they, if they're not mature, they don't often pursue peace. They avoid conflict, okay? Um, and even when Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in the Beatitudes talks about blessed are the peacemakers, isn't it amazing how we read things through our own filter? So we assume that that means that, it's 
long as everything's just sweet and nice and happy and we all can just, I mean, you, I'm sure that you've all had family gatherings where, where, where everyone looks happy, right? But you know the conversations that were taking place for weeks up until that gathering. And you know, you know the stuff, you know those family WhatsApp groups where, where everyone's like so supportive, high-fiving each other, and then they're the other groups where they're like really talking about the stuff that's going on. I'm just saying, that's, that's not peacemaking. And that's why, by the way, unity is also different to loyalty. Now, I'm very aware that, that in the English language, there are words that mean, that, that, that keep changing their definition. So there's nothing wrong with the word loyalty in itself, but, I, but, but my concern is that sometimes loyalty can be around, I'm, I'm loyal to that person no matter what, but that's a blind loyalty. I, I, th- I, think, I think that that's a disservice if I'm gonna be blindly loyal to those closest to me, if I'm gonna be blindly loyal to my leader or, 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 or if those that, that kind of are meant to help give me perspective are blindly loyal because they think that that's what I want to hear or what I feel, like that's, dis- guys, that's dangerous. Unity is concerned with the future. Unity is concerned with, with God's will and you care enough about that person. Again, Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love. Now some of us, some of us get excited at the first part. Speak the truth. That's right. Speak the truth, brother. <laughs> Clap them with the truth. I mean, we may be missing the other part, okay? And for others of us, it's easy about the in love part. And I'm just telling you, for me, over the years, this, is a, this has been a challenge for me because, because I don't want to hurt people or be, be misunderstood. Sometimes I will have a tough conversation with someone and they don't, they don't know it. So, they, so they, they used to, I mean, I think that they do more now these days, but in the early days, they'd walk away, sure, Jason's just such a nice guy. He really encouraged me. And I'm thinking, it's all sorted, it's clear, they know, you know, they know what the deal is and they'll, they, won't do any, they won't do it again. But I'm completely wrong because it's been so vague and hazy and, and trying to quickly counteract and be supportive and encouraging. No, no, we're gonna speak the truth in love, which means that there's a level of clarity. Proverbs 27 verse six says wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Some of you can remember when Ivan wounded me (laughs) a couple of weeks ago. I didn't invite that, just so you know. But again, again, the idea is the wound of a surgeon versus the wound of an attacker. How do we make sure that we are overcoming false peace and allowing for true peace to take place? Talk to the person, not about the person. Passive aggression is still aggression. It's just not direct, and frankly, it's not honest. Pray first. Check your heart. Check your tone. Be clear. To be clear is to be kind. Ask what the person understands about your intention and the content. Let's be clear, let's, guys, sometimes we have to push into the discomfort, into the pain, but, but we want real peace, we want real unity. Number three is diversity versus division. I believe that in a, in a godly context, in a healthy Christian community, we will value all diversity that's not divisive. Now I'm adding that word in because I think, again, we can misunderstand and we can over-sentimentalize and think, and think that that means that everything goes, no matter what, because it's different. No, if it's divisive, it's unacceptable. 
just out of, if this is something that interests you, when you get home later on, not now, the Lord is watching, do a little Google search on some of the scriptures around division. It is right up there with murder. Like, like it's, it's hectic. So, so no, 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 we don't want to accept division. But we absolutely are meant to not just tolerate, but celebrate differences. Again, you think about the day of Pentecost where, where, where God brought unity through giving those early believers in that moment, for that time, the ability to speak in languages they did, that they didn't understand, so they could explain, this is what the Bible says in, in the book of Acts, so they could explain the gospel in the languages of, of all these other people that had gathered from other nations and from other languages. God, God allowed them to communicate in a way that everybody could understand. What if there is a way for God to help us to value differences and, and yet to find enough common ground, enough common language that we can agree with one another or, or, at, least, or at least value one another? Two thoughts here is that we can accept without agreeing. This might mess with your head, but you don't have to agree with someone to accept someone. And by accept, I mean value. There's a dignity. There's a value. This person is created in the image of God. God created this person. You don't have to agree on everything in order to accept them. And that's why, I think, and, I, and I'm so nervous to even give examples because it can just send your mind down, down different roads, but, but I honestly think that in church and in communities, in life groups, etc., that, that, that there should be the kind of level of maturity and in families, the kind of level of maturity where, where, where we can ask sensitive questions, where we can have sensitive conversations over some of the cultural challenges of our day, where you can have conversations over Roe versus Wade and abortion rights, where you can have conversations over equal marriage rights and LGBTQ, and without it becoming dysfunctional and destructive, and where we can still value the person, value one another, and, and be empathetic enough and curious enough to actually want to, please don't interpret anything I'm saying as a statement of doctrine. I'm saying, can we just have the conversations? Because Jesus wasn't intimidated by questions. Paul spent years in some cases having discussions every day with people. He didn't just bombard them and then move on. There should be a way for us to accept without agreeing or accept before we agree. And we can disagree without drawing blood. In other words, we can disagree, but without taking the person out. Can we, can we just, guys, I mean, I'm just telling you, there are, there are a lot of issues within just the Christian faith alone that, that highly educated scholars and theologians disagree on. Hopefully not the main stuff, because then that's a problem, like the core stuff. But I'm, I'm often surprised at how at how people can have really strong views about some of the, now they may not think it's peripheral, but I'm saying some of the peripheral stuff. And I'm like, they've got their PhD in theology. So, so can, there be a, can there be some humility is what I'm trying to say. The more educated a person becomes, the more humble that person should become. Right? Those of you that have done post-grad degrees, your PhDs, Come on, it is humbling 
that the, that the further into it you go, the more you're like, holy smokes, there's, I'm now discovering how much I don't know. And you're scratching this, anyway, 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 all right. So it needs to be, it needs to be constructed. Again, Ephesians 4, verse 31 and 32 says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Number four, I think that again, one of the factors of unity is whether or not I am a contributor or only a consumer. Am I only a consumer? That's just got my, I mean, again, we can all enjoy sports and have our opinions, but like we, we know nothing actually and we've got no skin in the game. But when you're in it, yeah, I was like, it's a lot more complex, it's a lot more sensitive, it's a lot more nuanced. I don't know where I heard this, but years ago, I love the statement that he who rows the boat has no time to rock it. And if it's easy to rock the boat, there's a good chance you're not, you know, helping row the boat. Like it's, when we're, when we're in, when we are contributing, again, I'll go back to the main idea. Unity is not only the absence of division, but the presence of maturity. And I think that if we are burdened for one another, if we are wanting to, and you might say, Jason, I've got very little to offer. Just like anything. Maybe it's opening a home for a life group. Maybe it's standing outside and waving. Maybe you don't wanna to have to talk to people, so you can stand out in the car park, you know, in the road and just wave. You don't have to actually connect with people. Or maybe you wanna hide in the cafe and make a sandwich, or I don't know. But, it, but like there are some, there's a lot that we can do to help contribute that doesn't require a great deal of us. Let's contribute and not just consume. Again, I was just thinking about how Jesus washed his disciples' feet. The Son of God, the creator, the creator of those disciples. He created those feet. He's going through the worst moment of his life. He's about to be arrested. This is his last meal. And no one will humble themselves to help out. He's like, I'll do it. He washes their feet. Which just so you know, is not meant to be a new modern thing. Okay, that's gross for a lot of us. But, but the principle is that he was willing to serve. He was willing to humble himself. Think about how hard it is for there to be division and disunity if we're all committed to that heart of servanthood, of humility. What needs to be done? Hey, the rubbish hasn't been taken out. I'll take the rubbish out. What, what else? What, what, what isn't in place? Where's the gap? What else needs to be done? Think about how united a group of people are where we're all trying to outserve each other. Not out of pride, I mean like just, like we, we wanna contribute. All right, and lastly, number five, is that forgiven people forgive. In terms of unity, forgiven people forgive. Again, going back to Ephesians 4 verse 32. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Guys, Make no mistake, we will not survive. We will not survive Christianity or a local church without the ability to forgive. And it's not because we're so special and so humble that we can forgive, no, no, it's because we've been forgiven. Forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. The extent to which I realize, we've spoken about this before, the extent to which I realize that I've been forgiven, man, it's to that extent that I'm able to exercise grace. 
to exercise mercy, to be, it doesn't, you know what, you don't even have to be understanding because again, then we tend to water forgiveness down. Sometimes there is no excuse, no sufficient explanation. Something's just been wrong. And I don't know, maybe you've, maybe you've been hurt in this church. Maybe you've been in another church where you've been hurt, where you've been mistreated, where, where, and it's not even up for debate. Like it was just wrong. I just want to encourage you that forgiven people forgive. I'm under no illusion that there are people that have needed to forgive me over the years. And I don't just mean that I was like a little bit insensitive or maybe I didn't notice someone and greet them. I mean like, guys, I have sinned. You have sinned. I've worked with other Christian leaders for, for a long time. They have sinned. Like there are times where you've been sinned against. The only way for us to work through stuff. And again, not false peace, true peace is to forgive. And that's why, by the way, there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation and trust. Forgiveness is a one-player game. We forgive freely because we've been forgiven. But to reconcile, to, to go back into that relationship, that requires both people. That requires us resolving this. That requires both people being willing and there being true peace, not false peace. And then trust is something that's earned over time, where over time we build up that level of trust. Romans 12, 18 says, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Do all that you can. So maybe you've done what you can and that person's not willing to reconcile. Trust God, move on. But do all that you can. Let's check our hearts. This is what I wanna end with. In terms of, is there a practice? Is there a practice in the way of Jesus that will actually help us to grow in unity? I would argue with a resounding yes, that it'd be prayer. It is very hard to pray for one another and to hate one another. It's very hard to pray sincerely for someone and to wish them harm. It is very hard to pray for, for that church that hurt you, for, that, for those leaders that hurt you, and to, and to delight in the church falling apart. It's very hard to pray for that spouse or to pray for that partner, that business partner, that colleague that, that is mistreating. It's very hard. It's very hard to be on a team where, you, where you, you know, you're starting to see red, I'm saying in the church, because people are dropping balls and you wanna start hurting people. It's very hard to, to allow that anger to become something destructive if we're praying. Our Father, give us our daily bread. What do we need? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and lead us away from temptation. Deliver us from evil. Come on, I want you to stand with me for a moment and just close your eyes. And if you're willing to do this, open your hands just as a sign of surrender, just a posture of surrender. Can I ask you just for a moment in your mind, is there anybody that comes to mind for whatever reason, good or bad, that could be the Holy Spirit saying, pray for this person? Just pray. Just a kind prayer, a blessing. May that person know your heart, God. May that person know how kind you are. May that person know that they are valued by you. And if necessary, if there's, if there's uh, animosity, if there's, if there's you know, a conflict going on there, then maybe it's even a case of God, show me what to do next. What's the next step that I can take? 